Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm Michael Fragan, live from the Lower East Side of Manhattan on the Nachum Siegel Network, nachumsegel.com, jmintheam.org. And we've had an eventful day, an eventful week. There's, of course, a lot to talk about. There's always a lot to talk about in the world of politics. We have some good uh, guests here, both here in the studio, coming up on the phone. So I don't want to delay it all. And I want to talk immediately to Stephen Iweiss, the news editor, anchor extraordinaire for the Jewish Channel. Every week on the Jewish Channel leads the issues affecting the Jewish world. Stephen also was a breaking reporter on quite a few stories this past election cycle. But Stephen, not just about politics right now, the... UN General Assembly, not to be confused with the Security Council. I'm not even sure exactly why they have so many different bodies. Yeah, just probably to create extra work for the bureaucrats and have uh, cost us more money than the Americans. But they made the Palestinian Authority into a non-member observer state. I hope I got that correctly. Or maybe it was a non-observer right. member state. I'm not sure. So my question is yeah. to you, does that actually matter practically? Is there a difference between one of the two? And uh, what should anybody really care? Uh, of course it matters. Otherwise, they wouldn't push for it. And otherwise, Israel wouldn't be pushing back on it. And the Obama administration wouldn't be pushing back on it. They they obviously uh, are pursuing this for a number of strategic reasons. And, and some of it might have to do with the International Criminal Court. And some of it might have to do with some general uh, public relations issues and so on, but obviously they feel this is worth attaining. Uh, I mean, come on. Really what we're talking about here is uh, Mahmoud Abbas flexing a little bit mu little muscles. He didn't really want to go in with the missiles like Hamas did, and he, he wants to uh, show that he can achieve something. Right, uh, and actually, I mean, it's really important to see this in light of the recent conflict in Gaza uh, and Hamas uh, trying to basically uh, become the leading element in, in, in Palestinian politics and Fatah trying to push back here and trying to say, well, we, we can make this, we can make things happen at the United Nations and we can deliver and if you go our way, it'll work and you don't need to go Hamas's way. And, 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 and it's really important to see the, the recent conflict uh, in Gaza as part of that dynamic between Hamas and Fatah and who ultimately rules the day in the West Bank and Gaza for Palestinians and what that means as a as a negotiating partner or 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 for or for any relations with Israel and the United States. But who won? Who were the winners and losers of the conflict? Did Israel win? Hamas won big time. Hamas, Hamas won, won big, big time. time. And obviously Mohammed Morsi won won huge. Mohammed Morsi after this conflict in, in Gaza is um is is a hero in in much of the Arab world in a way that well, he absolutely well, was why, not. Why is he a hero? I mean, let's think about this for a second. The guy's entire life was spent with the Muslim Brotherhood, and he is a uh, a Muslim brother who believes in obviously no compromise with Israel, liberating Jerusalem, the whole the whole shebang. Well, and, and yet he had to tell fellow Muslim brothers that they had to step back, stop attacking stop the jihad well i'll tell you i had the uk mid-east minister so, so his ideology you know, is uh, he's compromised and compromise is not always a good thing in the middle east for some people well it's it's not for some and it is for others for uh for mohammed morsi i think uh he he has he knows going into this position some months ago that he needs to balance these these two ideas about him on the one hand that many see him as a as a member of a radical Islamist faction, and on the other hand, that other people are looking to him to lead this country responsibly. And uh, and you know, I just had on the Jewish Channel, uh, I interviewed the uh, the UK's Mid East minister, um, Alistair Burt, uh, a number of months, uh, six weeks ago. And, uh, and only he, in the UK could you have a name, Alistair Burt, and exactly. and and go so far. Um, and so Alistair Burt, the UK Mideast minister, uh, in, in, in our interview, said, he said to me um, that, uh, that he feels that the Arab Spring or Arab uprisings, whatever you'll call it, has led to a number of, uh, 
of uh, of moderate uh, Muslims taking charge. And I said to him, well, who are some of those moderate Muslims? Who do you say is in the moderate category? And he said Mohammed Morsi would be one of those. As a moderate? He said a moderate. So this is the UK conservative government calling Mohammed Morsi a moderate. And then he comes in as a peace broker in Gaza. But I'm sure and, some of his fellow travelers in his party probably would not be happy with him being a moderate. I, mo- mo- moderate is not necessarily a great badge to wear. It's not necessarily a great badge to wear in a lot of the in a lot of the Arab world. Uh, a moderate uh, in dealing with the West, a moderate in dealing with Israel. Um, but uh, that's the reputation he's developing in the UK. And, and if he's developing that in the UK, you can say safely much of continental Europe. Should we be encouraged by that? Is that something encouraging for Israel? For encouraging for the West? Well, I think the entire. Is, are we moving the goalposts? Are we moving what the middle of the road so far to the right or so far to the left? I don't know exactly which way. Are we moving it so far that we've now made total radicals into right wingers? We've made right wingers into moderates, and we've kind of left everybody else off the cliff. There's no sec- there. There is a large secular democratic force in Egypt. They they are demonstrating right now. So apparently, they want something else other than the Muslim Brotherhood. So how is it that Morsi is the moderate? Well, I think what you're talking about shifting the goalposts is exactly for Israel the important issue. And that if you look at the at, at what's gone on over the past 18 months, it's been a major shift of what is perceived as moderation, what is perceived as uh, as diplomacy in the Middle East. And we're seeing a situation where Hamas, after this conflict in Gaza and with their new and with their new status and with their relationship with Mohammed Morsi, it, it would not be crazy ten years from now or fifteen years from now to see whomever's leading Hamas at the time shaking hands with whomever the Israeli Prime Minister at the, is at the time in the same way that Yasser Arafat was shaking hands uh, in the Rose Garden with uh, uh, with Yitzhak Rabin, uh, you know, not more than uh, not more than twenty years ago. It, it, all fascinating, I have to say that uh, how much this uh, Arab Spring has created this new fluidity as far as uh, Middle East politics, and it, it really, though, everything has changed to to a large degree. Let's let's talk for a second about the the Shiite Sunni divide and how that how that's playing out. Who are the winners and losers right there, and uh, how are the how is that changing for Israel? For the is that possibly it was always axiomatic that if uh, Syria was weaker, Israel was stronger. Is that really the case right now, or the fact that Syria might go the way of a radical Sunni, a Sunni government could be uh, more dangerous for Israel? I mean, I don't think that Shia and Sunni divides broadly affect greatly Israel's security. I, th- I think that broadly speaking, if you look, I mean, Iraq under Saddam Hussein was not a great boon for Israel's security. Syria under Assad has not been a great boon for Israel's security. Um, and it's really about whether you have dictators or whether you have democracies, about whether you have governments that are incentivized to keep attacks from and, and, and weapons. Well, and wasn't what Hamas democratically elected? Well, that but no, but that would be exactly my point. Mohammed Morsi was democratically elected, and Hamas was democratically elected, and um, and sort of broadly that, and broadly that Egyptian speaking, election was kind of strange. And broadly speaking, we know who is um, who is uh, in favor uh, in the uh, on the Arab street, and we know that it is not Israel, and we know that broadly speaking, when um, when you unseat dictators uh, who have. Cl- cozy relationships with the United States and therefore, you know, warm, warm understandings of Israel uh, because of the relationship with the United States. When you remove that and you say to the uh, to the Arab public uh, and to the Persian public and to the Muslim public uh, across the Middle East, you know, vote for your vote for your leadership and for the foreign policy you want to see on Israel, then we're going to see uh, a situation where ele- where leadership is elected that is not favorable to Israel. That is not favorable to uh, keeping relations relations easy with Israel to to keep money coming from the United States. It's just not going to be that way. And, um, and unless unless the pendulum swings back, unless you have societies that have a taste of freedom and a taste of a little bit more wealth and education, and perhaps they are more receptive to Western ideals. I mean, that would be right. the liberal utopian view of things. Right. The kind of, well, the, 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 Woodrow, the Woodrow Wilson type of uh, approach or the, the Middle East. Or the neoconservative approach, the Leo Strauss ah. approach, the Richard Pearl approach, the, the Paul Wolfowitz approach. Um, that, uh, that, yeah. That and, experiment and, hasn't gone so well in Iraq, though. 
it hasn't gone so well in Iraq, and but you at the same time could ha- could see many people who would point to various points at which U.S. strategy and tactics uh, really soured the situation in Iraq in a way that it would not have been soured had had the U.S. really had its its eyes on the prize there. And um, and regarding the possibility that democracy and and open markets and what have you can actually foster moderate uh, moderation regarding Israel. Uh, I think the West Bank is a fascinating case, is a fascinating case study in the past, you know, six seven years. Um, what under Abbas and Salam Fayyad we've seen, you know, we're not seeing suicide attacks from the West Bank. We are not seeing missiles and rockets from the West Bank, and so it's a fascinating case study. Yeah, it- obviously stands in contrast to Iraq. Obviously stands in contrast to a number of other areas in the Middle East. But but it is a fascinating so case perhaps study for the, exactly this kind of thing. Perhaps the Palestinian Authority is running the most stable democracy in the Middle East outside of Israel. <laughs> outside of it, you got to add that qualifier. <laughs> it's a pretty important qualifier. So uh, the 2012 uh, campaign is over. Yeah. What were your favorite moments? Um, you, you were involved in quite a few of the uh, most interesting moments. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, my uh, my interview on the Jewish Channel with uh, with Newt Gingrich uh, last December when. Uh, uh, when he called the Palestinians an invented people, uh, was broadca- was rebroadcast pretty much everywhere. I think, uh, according to the clipping service, between one in three and one in two Americans uh, that week heard the words "the Jewish Channel" on a newscast, um, and uh, and a number of other interesting stories uh, that we've covered and, and broken uh, over the past year. But uh, I mean. It, 2012. I mean, there's just so many, so many fun moments, and I think regarding Israel, it was fascinating to see this discussion play out. I mean, I think obviously, among this audience, among the Orthodox uh, Jewish Jewish audience, we're going to hear a lot of uh, questioning of of whether Barack Obama is is uh, ha- has any kind of reasonable relationship with Israel. Well, he's done pretty well in the couple of weeks since the election. Not only that, but I think I think you can point to a number of 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 times. Although where everybody's going to complain about today that the United States didn't do enough or whatever it was that uh, the United they could have stopped it somehow. The United States and the General Assembly has no power. And the United States, I think, you know, you look at, I don't know, you know, I was putting my kids to bed. I actually don't know what the final vote results and what have you were uh, in this late breaking news. But um, but in the vote on UNESCO, I mean, U.S. US and Israel stood alone. I mean, what's fascinating, I actually spoke at my second son's bris about this uh, a year ago, about, uh, about how Barack Obama and Bibi Netanyahu were standing there. So alone, I so think- alone on the world stage, speaking to the Jewish story of of survival, the Jewish story of persecution, and the and the need for uh, for for guaranteed security for Jews uh, in the future. Uh, I mean, the vote I was is- mid bagel at the time. Yeah, <laughs> and and the um, and the uh, the vote at UNESCO, I remember, was something along the lines of nine, uh, nine against the Palestinian state, and something like a hundred. 109, I think, four. Uh, France, obviously, voting the wrong way uh, for, as far as uh, the Obama administration and Bibi Netanyahu are concerned. Uh, so, um, so the, the the degree of solitude for of the of the Jewish state and of the United States uh, on the world stage right now, as regards kind of politics in the Middle East, as regards Israel, is is just astonishing. I mean, it is, they are so alone. Um, our, you know, our leaders here in the United States, the leader in Israel is, is, is just astonishingly alone. So what about uh, domestically? You covered some, uh, some interesting races. You know, there are a couple right. interesting Jewish personalities, uh, New York, right. uh, New Jersey. We're going to get a little bit uh, in a couple minutes. We're going to get to some New Jersey politics with a New Jersey expert. But uh, we, we, we saw some fascinating characters. Shmuley Boteach ran for office Uh this time yeah. he didn't do too well, but yeah, uh, he, you know he got his name out there. Shmuley Boteach actually beat our reporting when we when we when we initially did our broadcast. Um, we said he lost by nearly fifty points, and um, and and I didn't think, and I was worried about our, our language being seen as exaggeration while making sure it's cl- making sure it was somewhere. And then he ended up losing by more than fifty points. Um, so yeah, that was. Um, 
I mean, and I mean, Sheldon Adelson's money, I think, in general in this election was not so, is not seen as very well spent. A million dollars to Shmuley Boteach. I, I was think, just is, getting at yeah. that. I mean, Sheldon Adelson propped up uh, Newt Gingrich, who looked like he was uh, failing in the campaign and only really stayed in the race because of ten million dollars from Sheldon Adelson. Right. Shortly after that interview, where he called the Palestinians and invented exactly, people. Right. Exactly. So maybe that was a reward for uh, for having got on your show. His, Ma- uh, many speculated that his comments on the Jewish Channel were uh, were what generated ten million dollars. From Sheldon Adelson. Now, yeah. did, did you did, was he, was he tricked somehow into saying that? Did you? You know what's funny? Sometimes people just want to say it, kind of like a Jack Nicholson moment in A Few Good Men or something like that. You know, he just really yeah. wanted to say it. Well, you know what's funny about bro- uh, broadcast interviews in general? You kind of have to start with these softball questions, unlike say a print interview where you kind of you have to make the person feel easy you have to get them talking that's how we did and, that tonight and, and, and I'm, the, so, I'm about to set you up right and the the last uh, the last softball question i kind of had in my mental list was the one that led to that and i asked him so are you a zionist and and it became this answer that that went well beyond what i expected interestingly enough that was probably not the most controversial thing he said in the interview. It was just the most quotable, I think, for the news network. Give us the most controversial. The most controversial was he basically called Fatah a terrorist organization. And if Fatah's a terrorist organization, we know you, we, the United States says we don't negotiate with terrorists. And that would lead to and, – and he called the two-state solution pretty much dead. He called – he said the Oslo peace process was dead. Um, and obviously that runs counter to uh, you know every every administration since uh, the Oslo peace accords uh, uh, were entered into, and so uh, so that I mean that was pretty wildly controversial. I mean the idea that you would write off Fatah alongside Hamas. Everything we're seeing right now in American foreign policy and Israeli foreign policy is about that difference between Hamas and Fatah, and the idea that we can negotiate with Fatah, we can't negotiate with Hamas. But yet, Sheldon Adelson spent millions and millions of dollars, and others spent millions and millions of dollars trying to convert Jews, not to other religions, but to convert them from the religion of the Democratic Party to the right. Republicans. And right. uh, that seems to really have gone nowhere. A couple, a couple uh, percentage points out there. And uh, right, I mean, well, broadly speaking, if you look look at the 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 Jewish voting for Obama this election versus last election, there's subs there's substantively no difference relative to the the amount that Jews voted more for Obama than the rest of the general population. Um, and um, and actually, I mean, among the Orthodox population, according to the RJC, it was uh, it was fifty nine forty uh, for for Romney, which I think was fifty nine forty in the Orthodox. Really. According to the RJC, not the, according the, to not according to the New York Times this past. Uh, 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 this past uh, Shabbos had an article. With R- right, right. Well, so, the, the New York actually, Times story is more anecdotal. It's a good segue yeah. to some our, our, another uh, guest that we have here who just joined us in the studio, Moshe Friedman, a political consultant who is a well-known fixture in the Orthodox uh, political community and uh, wanted to have him give a quick comment, actually, on that New York Times article that seems to somehow they figured out this time around that there were the Orthodox community was voting Republican in great numbers in a presidential election. They did somehow didn't realize that in 2008. They somehow didn't realize that in 2004, but yet they came around to it now. So first of all, good evening, Michael. And it's a pleasure to sit with you. It looks like you upgraded your studio. What a beautiful studio. It's not bad. ZK is here as well. Should, uh, should, should give him an honorable mention. And he does a lot of the decorating around here. Very nice. <laughs> and congratulations. But the answer to that is very simple. Nobody took a mind that the people in Borpak became so rich the last four years. So they simply <laughs> voted the Republican way. That, that, so that's what we, you know, there was a great money quote in the Jewish Week this week, I think from Ari Goldman, who said that, uh, that Jews, <laughs> that Orthodox Jews, I, I, I feel bad having said it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Listen, Orthodox was- Jews, please, Orthodox Jews live like Puerto Ricans and vote like billionaires. Now, I can't think that that's complimentary to either Orthodox Jews or Puerto Ricans. So, well, uh, Artie Goldman, obviously a renowned expert on Orthodox Judaism, has spent, I think, untold years in the Brooklyn trenches. Yes, uh, really, absolutely. You know, really trying to figure out exactly what makes Brooklyn Jewish life, make, what makes that pulse beat. But, but, Moshe, tell us for a second, okay? You have a, a large population that's generally poor. There's something to this a little bit. There's a large population that's generally poor, a lot of them public assistance, people on Section 8. Housing, they they rely on the government for a lot of programs. Yet, they are voting. They're part of the forty-seven percent. Yet, they're voting for the guy who doesn't want the forty-seven percent vote. They do believe that the government will never cut them. 
I'm sure if it would come with every vote, if they would go the other way, they'll cut $5 a month of their food stamps card. I would tell you in SD17, they'll be getting about That's 90. That's Senate District 17, the super Jewish district. They'll now get about 90 held Democratic. Held by Senator-elect Senator Simcha Felder. So Yossi Gestetner, uh, who I believe you've had on the show. Not uh, yet, but we're looking forward oh, to having him. So Yossi Gestetner. Uh, but a friend. Um, is someone who who we had on the Jewish channel shortly after he was appointed uh, director of Jewish well, outreach. Well, I think I was going to mention him as one of your your political characters right. of 2012. Right, right, and uh, we ha- and he had been appointed director of Jewish outreach for the New York State GOP. Um, and after an investigation of an interview with him, um, uh, 30 minutes after uh, uh, the party chairman was called for comment on what he had to say to us, uh, he he was he resigned. Um, that uh, he'd worked for anti-Zionist groups and he'd uh, advocated on behalf of violence, criminals, and sexual abusers. But one of the more interesting things that he had to say during the interview was I, I asked him, you know, you're, uh, you're a member of the Hasidic community. You're obviously coming to this job directing uh, Jewish outreach for the state GOP from this position within the ultra-Orthodox community. And, you, uh, and your community is, is heavily reliant on, on government services. I mean, Curious Joel is the poorest city in the country. Uh, and I said to him, not yet a city, still a village, yes. but still. And, and, I, and I asked him uh, how he squares those two, how he hopes to get ultra-Orthodox to vote Republican when they're so heavily reliant on, on government services. And his response to me was that, um, was that all these programs that I'd mentioned were bigger under Bush than Obama. Um, and I guess the, the uh, big government Republicanism is, is you know, caught on like wildfire, I guess, through Hasidic GOP uh, uh, operations. I'm I'm speechless in a say. <laughs> well, okay, well, look, whatever works. Right. I mean, I, this, for, for, we do yeah. we do call the show spin class for a reason, so that would fit in. That is excellent spin, and if yeah. uh, people buy it, then that's uh, you know all the better for the spinmeister. But Michael, yeah. it's not only about buying it. If you really look at the numbers, I think he's one hundred percent right. And here's how you would take it. What there's that there's been an increase in there's been an increase in funding government funding for the Hasidic institutions the last years a lot because what you got to look is you you cannot look for instance in only in food stamps and Medicaid and these kind of stuff because these 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 programs will never the decisions to increase or to decrease will never be made in what the Hasidic population takes or doesn't on which way they vote or not. But if you're going to go out and you're going to look, let's say, in education, which basically it's a much bigger problem in the Hasidic yeshivas versus in the other areas. Because if you go out in five towns, even in Flatbush, where I send a couple of my kids, you really pay full tuition. The same child, if he'll live in, if he'll go into a school in Borough Park or he's going to go into a school in Williamsburg, will pay $200 a month maximum. So when the government comes in and really works, whether it's giving after-school buses or transportation or giving millions for TAP. There was just an article, I think, this week that the TAP, about 22 of the 23 eligible places went to Hasidic yeshivas in Brooklyn. So that's the big money right there. That's big money. That had nothing to do with the president, of course. You see, the people over there are not educated. People do not follow politics. Ah. They just follow their pockets. So and that's, when somebody is in politics... This sounds a lot like 47% talk to me. I don't know if we're allowed to talk. I feel like this is going to be in a in a video on Mother Jones this, soon. So, so what you're saying is that because... I think one uh, astute blogger said that there's really not a lot of debate of issues within the Orthodox community. Uh, we're obviously trying to change that right here and uh, to talk about some issues and highlight the issues. And uh, But there's not a lot of it. It's pretty monolithic. It's really like a Fox News and Rush Limbaugh type of crowd, and that's basically what everybody hears. Um, you, you know, there was a, a rabbi yeah. the immediately after the election who lambasted any congregant and anybody living in the Teaneck community for possibly daring and having the temerity to vote for Barack Obama. I, I think what's amazing about the Orthodox Jewish community is not just how, how reflexively Republican you find so many people that it's just an automatic assumption, but further, but, but really that so many Orthodox Jewish Republicans I come across, again, many on social media, so take, take it for what it's worth, um, could be masking so, so, truth. so easily descend into conspiracy theory. 
which is fat. It's just fascinating to me how 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 I'll see you know someone uh, post on Facebook something about politics and someone says, "Well, with all the Muslim Brotherhood people in the State Department, what do you expect?" You know, and just just the the the, the just the just very quick descent, you know, into conspiracy theory without any, you know, it's just amazing. I, I don't know what Michelle they're Bachman is speaking at the Bethel dinner coming up. Well, you know, so I, that, I mean, she, you know, I, she, God speaks to her. God speaks to, God speaks to them. Everybody who hears God voice, God's voice, I think should come together. Yeah. So you famously did not get to interview Mindy Meyer. Right. Uh, a, it, was, a, it was meant to be a debate. Honestly. Oh, I, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Tell yeah. us a little bit what the fascination was with Mindy Meyer. Well, everybody was fascinated with Mindy Meyer and in New why? York media. I, I, well, I think it was just what was amazing was that she people was. People kept telling me to have her on the show. I, I really right. couldn't understand what the appeal would be. Well, I think the thing was this is just to give some context. This is a woman who she basically hit the scene when uh, Ozzy Pabra at uh, at Capitol New York uh, posted a, a, a tweet saying. You know, FYI, this website is real. And the website he was pointing to was Mindy Meyer's campaign site. And it was pink and it was glittery. And it had uh, the music. I don't know if we're allowed to say the actual name of the song, but she changed the lyrics to I'm Senator as I, and I know it. Um, and, uh, you know, this is Orthodox Jewish radio. If you, but, feel, uh, if you feel it, then you probably will eventually happen. So, or if uh, you think it, it probably yeah, eventually yeah. happens. And, um, and she had pictures of herself posting as. Uh, posing as characters from the Hunger Games, which I've not seen, but I believe there was a bow and arrow in that in that movie. Wow! And um, and does, she, uh, Moshe, does that play in Borough Park? The the, the bow Hunger and Games. Arrow? She was running in Borough Park. At least. Long she Bomer. Was Borough a piece Park. of Borough Park. A piece of Borough Park. Piece of Borough Park. Kensington. You know the Mid uh, Dipmas Park. You know there's she got there's, what two percent, three percent to like twenty five hundred votes. Right. It's right. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've just been notified that on the line we have uh, Josh Przanski, and Josh is the New Jersey Regional Director for the Orthodox Union, Director of Political Affairs, and uh, I've been told that the show is becoming a little too New York-centric, so we want to honor the state of New Jersey quite a bit. Of course, we we salute uh, Governor Christie often, and uh, we have quite a few quite a few, not an insignificant Orthodox Jewish population uh, that is a significant political factor in the state of New Jersey. So Josh is uh, certainly one who knows the ins and outs. And welcome to the program, Josh Brzezanski. Thank you, Michael Fragan. I can't tell you how many years I've waited to be on spin class. So this is an exciting moment for me. Uh, it's exciting for all of us. Uh, and uh, eventually we will get you from Trenton or wherever you find yourself right now, and we'll get you here to the Lower East Side, to you know the cradle of Jewish civilization. But while we have you here uh, on, on the line, I want to talk a little bit about the Jewish communities of the state of New Jersey and the influence of the Orthodox Jewish vote. And uh, you don't have you had one of the characters that we identified a little bit earlier, uh, which was uh, Shmuley Boteach. Who, who may or who was commonly referred into the media as Shmuley Botich or Rabbi Shmuley, uh, and uh, who ran, I'm not sure. What I want to sense from you is, was it a serious campaign or was it a not serious campaign? Well, I really don't know. I haven't been inside his campaign, so I, I don't know how serious it was or wasn't. Did he, was he playing he to win? Was he, did he actually think he was going to win? He didn't do as well as one might have expected or some Jews had expected? with all that Adelson money? Well, I, I would think that it was a very tough race to begin with. Uh, Congressman Pasquale ran a very tough race in the primary against uh, Congressman Rothman, and uh, many people expected Congressman Pasquale to, uh, to lose that race. And he just turned out the vote, especially in his hometown of uh, Patterson. I think uh, he was he, in the primary he won, I think, 22,000 to less than 1,000 for Rothman which is a, a major, like, 95% of the vote, if not more. And, uh, you know, it, it was, he's a very tough opponent. So uh, Rabbi Bateyach had a, a long road ahead of him. I think he uh, injected some new uh, atmosphere into a uh, congressional campaign. And hey, at the end of the day, I, I think him and the congressman uh, hit it off. Uh, I remember that I was at the uh, victory party for Congressman Pasquale, and he was saying how he spoke to the rabbi and that there was some other rabbi running against him. And, uh, you know, I think they, they worked it out well, but, you know, it was a very difficult battle for him to win, and obviously he didn't. Is there a sense that that, that 
this run by Rabbi Shmuley Boteach was, was good for rabbis broadly in New Jersey, bad for rabbis? Is, is there a sense that the rabbinate cares what happened in this election? And uh, Josh, uh, that question came from uh, Stephen Weiss, who is uh, our guest uh, host this evening uh, as well. Uh, we also have on the line Moshe Friedman, a political consultant uh, from Brooklyn uh, and expert in uh, Hasidic politics. And Stephen is the news editor of the Jewish Channel, just in case you're Joining us right now, this is Spin Class with Michael Fragan, NachumSiegel.com, JMNAM.org. And uh, Josh, uh, was it good for the rabbinate? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't see too many rabbis running for office in New Jersey. So this is probably a unique opportunity. But Rabbi Vitech is, is not just a rabbi in the rabbinate. He's a very, you know, a very popular personality. So I think this, this stands by itself. This wasn't something that I, will be, that I think will start a trend in New Jersey of rabbis running for office. I I have some good contacts out there in the communities that make up the uh, it was the eighth uh, Senate uh, congressional district that or the ninth. ninth the ninth congressional district I think it had been the eighth or something like that but right. uh, you know Englewood Teaneck Passaic Clifton uh, I I was told he didn't do all that well in the Orthodox areas oh, or, or not probably not as well as uh, Mitt Romney did in Borough Park right yeah that's a, that's a a strong comparison. Or as but, Chris Christie did in Lakewood. Uh, I, I think, you know, this is a congressional race. It has, you know, significant ramifications. Congressman Pasquale has been there for a long time. He has seniority. And I think people at the end of the day voted where they thought, you know, who would make a bigger difference for them in uh, in Washington. And, uh, you know, it, it was a new, it was the first race for uh, Rabbi Bateach. Maybe there will be more in the future. I don't know. But uh, in this particular case, I think the community just came out, you know, with someone they were familiar with, and someone who's been there and representing them. I mean, he has represented that community in Passaic and Clifton for 15 years, so they all know who he is. He, he's, he's a known quantity. And, uh, you know, he might have made some mistakes in the past, uh, especially signing the uh, Gaza 54 letter a few years ago, but he's been honest and open about it, and, and he's explained his uh, reasoning and, and expressed his strong support for Israel, which I think he will have will continue to have, and uh, I think people just voted for someone they were uh, familiar with. So as I mentioned earlier, that the impact of the Orthodox Jewish vote in New Jersey might even be more pronounced than it, the Orthodox Jewish vote is in New York, and uh, you have quite a few communities uh, that have uh, that have ability to move seats in, a, in any given election. Uh, Lakewood obviously comes to mind, but there are other smaller communities, and Ha, your job is to advocate on everybody's behalf. So give it, give us a rundown of uh, the New Jersey political scene. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that New Jersey goes from Englewood to, uh, to Lakewood and everywhere in between. It, it's, a, it's a funny state. It's the size of Israel, as Governor Christie often says. And uh, you have communities, really, the, north, the northern and central parts of the state have very significant Orthodox communities. You have up in Bergen County, Teaneck, Englewood, Bergenfield, Fairlawn, Paramus, Tenafly communities, you have to say... That was all in one breath, I assume you said I, that. I, 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 I usually do more, but you just interrupted me. I could do another ten. No, sorry. You have Passaic and Clifton uh, in Passaic County. You have Elizabeth in Union County. You have West Orange and Livingston. You have Edison Highland Park in East Brunswick. You have now Monmouth County, a lot of growing communities. Twin Rivers. Uh, Don't forget now, about Deal. Marlboro, Deal, the Jersey Shore communities. We're going in that direction now. Then you hit Lakewood, and then you go down south to Cherry Hill. So... There are significant, and there is also a community, I should say, in Atlantic City and Ventnor Market area. So there are communities spread around the state. Some are larger than others. And, you know, Lakewood being the largest, you know, Baruch Hashem, they have a significant birth rate in Lakewood of over 4,000 kids a year. Uh, so that, that community is growing leaps and bounds. They're almost at the 100,000 mark of population. I think at the next census, they'll exceed the 100,000 mark, and uh, with God's help, and they'll become a city, and one of the largest cities in the state. Uh, aside from that, you have up north. Well, g- give us an idea of Lakewood's political clout. I mean, at that uh, at that rate, it's the in Central Jersey, which is not as populated as Northern Jersey. They're possibly the most significant political player. Well, I'll say uh, you know, kind of like Curiosiol in Orange County. Correct. As a community, it has tremendous clout. Uh, but if you look at the overall picture, there are forty uh, districts in New in New Jersey. Forty. Uh, State legislative districts. Each one has one senator and two uh, assembly people. And Lakewood, as big as it is, only ha- is only one district. So they have one senator, Senator Singer, and two assemblymen, uh, Senator Keene and uh, I mean Assemblyman Keene and uh, Assemblyman Rival. 
whereas other communities have more. So if you think about it, uh, Teaneck in Englewood is one district. Birkenfield Fairlawn is another district. Uh, Passaic is one district. Clifton's another district. Elizabeth's another district. So there, there are a significant amount of districts represented by Orthodox communities in the state, but as a whole, Lakewood has tremendous clout. Uh, they, they are a significant voting group, a voting block, I should say, and uh, so they're well-respected throughout the state. That should make your job pretty easy, then, to get things done Well, with you know, all that clout. Clout is good, but, you know, it has to work, and we're, we're trying to increase the voter turnout in the state. Now, while Lakewood how, how have up, you done with that? We've had people on the show who talk about the voting turnout in New York amongst Orthodox Jews to be somewhere in the 30% range, believe it or not. That's of eligible, eligible voters, not of registered voters. And being out of town, out of town like the Midwest, St. Louis, Chicago, Cleveland being in the ninety percent range is New Jersey somewhere in between, or is it closer to the New York, That's a, it's Brooklyn a funny, it's situation? A, it's a funny question because it depends on the race. If you're looking at a presidential race, and I have the numbers in front of me, oh, ah, good. I was hoping you would say that. Thank you. And Teaneck, where I just put them together, some of them last night. And Teaneck, Bergenfield, and Englewood, uh, for instance, the rates were in the, from the fifties up to the uh, high sixties. Uh, for the presidential election, which is significantly lower, about 10% lower than it was in 2008. But then you go to the other elections. The gubernatorial election is, it goes down. It goes from the uh, 40% to uh, maybe 50% range. And then you go to a uh, regular legislative race, uh, like last year in New Jersey, where it was only the Assembly, and some Senate, it was the Senate and the Assembly, and we're down to 20 to 30% range. So depends on the race. Obviously, a presidential race will bring out a greater turnout, but something we're trying to impress upon the community is the importance of turning out in every election, whether it be a primary election, whether it be a legislative election, whether it be a gubernatorial election. Next year, in 2013, you have the entire state uh, running for election, from the governor through the Senate and the, and the Assembly. It happens once every 10 years. And so the community, the people in our community, have, a, have an opportunity now to make a significant impact in next year's election. Well, well let's talk. Let's let's get to that very quickly because it, it seemed uh, I, up until Hurricane Sandy that there was going to be a battle royal in the for the gubernatorial crown mm-hmm. in New Jersey. You were going to have Cory Booker challenging Governor Christie. That seems to not be the case uh, at this point. That uh, Cory Booker is going to take a pass. Well, you take a look at the polls that came out this week. In one poll, the governor... I always look at the polls. Every morning when I get up, I look at the polls. That's right. the first thing. So he got the Quinnipiac, in the Quinnipiac poll, he got 72% approval rating. In the FDU poll, he got 77% approval rating. Uh, as far as his matchups this week on the uh, Quinnipiac poll, he was up by 18 points over Mayor Booker. So, you know, it, it, right now he holds a very significant lead. He has a very significant or very high level of popularity but as we all know from politics, that, that from now till Election Day is an eternity. Anything could happen. But, you know, it gives the uh, Democrats something to think about. Do they, do they really want to run a significant race against Chris Christie? He's a very popular governor, very well-liked governor, someone who's seen as turning the state around. And uh, it could be a very difficult race. You got to look back into 91. In the same time, about that time, was probably President Bush was had the same popularity, even much bigger. And what happened was nobody ran besides some a guy by the name Clinton that got up and decided he will challenge him. And he did win that election and came on to the President Clinton, which we still suffer or have the service of his wife due to those days. And maybe he's moving to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Clinton against Chris Christie. Uh, there you go. Well, so Cory Booker is uh, a rising star, certainly in the. Is he friendly towards uh, towards your issues, uh, the Newark mayor? Oh, not not a lot of not a lot of Jews in Newark. Not a lot of not Jews anymore. I have to full disclosure. Actually, my grandparents lived in Newark, and my father was born there. Really? Yes, my 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 New Jersey connection. Wow. Uh, I'll tell you, Cory Booker, I, I refer to him as Rabbi Booker, because if you ever hear him speak, he can give a Devar Torah as good as a lot of Robotum. He, he's just a very eloquent speaker. He, he, he well, really, he got smicha from Shmuley Botech back yes, in Oxford. He, well, I don't know if he got smicha from him, but he it's was, all... he was his Chavrusa out in Oxford, so they, they were very, uh, they're very close, and uh, he really speaks very well, and he's very knowledgeable. But, and he's also very much involved in our issue of educational affordability and school choice and opportunity for parents to send their kids to the best school. And uh, That's a great ally to have. 
Yeah. You have you have the governor who's a school choice proponent, and you have one of the most important Democrats in the state as a school choice proponent. And because they are, they turned the Newark school district around. They just signed significant legislation on teacher tenure and teacher grading and merit pay and what have you in Newark. They they got a one hundred million dollar grant from Mark Zuckerberg of you know of Facebook to invest in the schools in Newark. Newark has some of the best charter schools in the state, and I think that's because of the partnership between the governor and, and Mayor Booker. So. They, they work well together, and, and on this issue... You know, if the property taxes weren't so high, I would I would be tempted. Move to Newark. Well, move across <laughs> the river somewhere. Let's, uh, you know, maybe not to Newark. Right. I don't you know. open up a shul in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> so, Frank Lautenberg, your uh, senior senator, mm-hmm. uh, seems uh, to continue to claim that he is going to run for re-election at age 88 in 2014. Uh, uh, that would um, that would get him up there in a six-year term. Yes, it would. You know, we call him Senator Fievel, but that's his Hebrew name. He always says my name is Fievel, and he always talks about his 70 trips to, to, to Israel and, and his love of the community. And he's a very strong man. Thank God Senator Lautenberg, even at his uh, age, is uh, you know has a stamina of people far younger than him. So, he, you know, we'll find out what happens. In he retired once already, if you recall. Yes, he did. Obviously, he didn't enjoy retirement, so no wonder he wants to run again. He was a young guy then. It was very, absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. Uh, it, so what do you see as uh, any, anything going to actually happen then in 2013 with uh, in, in New Jersey? I mean, it's going to be pretty boring then if there's no uh, marquee race. Nothing is ever boring in New Jersey, and, and I'm sure it's a blue state. It's a Democratic state with a, with a Republican governor. And uh, running for re-election, and, and those are always close. If you look at the uh, Whitman race when she was running for re-election, uh, she only won by I think one point over McGreevy. So you know these races are, are you know right now they're wide, they're spread wide open. We'll see what happens in a year from now. A lot of things could happen, as I said, and uh, Democrats could come in and and you know rejuvenate the party and get the party out. You know get the turnout. Everything is turnout when it comes to elections. It's who's going to turn out their people to come vote. And, uh, you know, in 2009, when he ran against Governor Corzine, they didn't come out to vote. And that's why, you know, Chris Christie became governor. So you've been been investing a significant amount in your operation to turn out the vote. Uh, Has that had the impact that you would expect it? And what do you you need to do to convince people in the community to vote? I I talk about it almost every show, Mm -hmm. how necessary it is. And I have people coming on and they always talk about the fact that it's just so disappointing that uh, the Orthodox community doesn't vote. The perception is, of course, much greater than the reality, actually, when it comes to voting. So how, what do you have to what do you do to convince people to vote? I think people need to understand that when you talk to a politician, you're trying to get some legislation passed. And we're looking to pass legislation that will increase funding for educational for, for education, for our schools, for our families, for, for our children. And in order to get that legislation passed, it's going to really help us. Educational affordability, as you know, is the, one of the most uh, significant topics in our community uh, as far as affordability. Parents and families just simply can't afford anymore to pay the high taxes and the high cost of yeshiva tuition, day school tuition. And in Bergen County, in some schools, it's as high as $20,000 per child for elementary school. It's a very significant amount of money. And we have to find ways that since 6% of our, pop, our property tax dollars are being spent on education, almost all exclusively to public education, we have to find a way to generate some more funding for the non-public schools. So in order to do that, we have to, you know, initiate and create and propose legislation and get it passed. But, you know, when you talk to a politician, there's two things that they, they, they need to hear. A politician wants to, number one, needs votes, because if they don't, get, they don't have the votes, they don't get reelected. And a politician needs funding to keep their campaigns going. Now, we're a 501c3 organization, the OU. We're not, we're not advocating for... Uh, campaign financing, but we are advocating and trying to educate people to go out and vote. Does it make a difference who you vote for? As long as you go out and vote, they see turnout, you're a customer. As long as you're a customer, they'll try to do something for you. So we're trying to explain to the community that if we want to see this legislation pass, they have to get out there and vote in significant numbers, which they have, but they need to use it. It's a voice that's not being spoken, not being heard. And if they want their voice heard, they have to go out and vote. And that's the message we're, we're bringing to them. And honestly, it's it's generated a lot of enthusiasm. You know, we went to a lot of schools, almost every school in the state. We met with a lot of school heads. We met with a lot of Rabbanim and a lot of uh, lay leaders and and, and, uh, grassroots, uh, you know, the people in the community. And when they hear this message, 
it resonates with them absolutely. You know, we got to do something. So we're trying to tell people, trying to become a somebody, have your voice heard. We created a, a, a campaign called NJ Votes for Tuition Affordability, uh, and, and you, we have a website. Is, it, is that... Is that one word, NJ Votes for Tuition Affordability? Because that's a very long title. It is, is the, but you can see is that the it's URL? on our website at njvotes.org. NJ, NJ, okay. Njvotes.org, okay, okay. <laughs> and you can see what we're trying to accomplish. And we're working with the community hand-in-hand, partnering with our you know institutions, and people are, are motivated, and hopefully they'll show that motivation not only this year's presidential race, which they did, but next year's uh, statewide elections, the legislative elections, which are... As we all know, much more important. All politics started uh, are local, as Tip O'Neill was once said, and uh, people have to start thinking along those lines for local races. Um, uh, Josh, it's Stephen Weiss from the Jewish Channel here. Uh, it's interesting what you've been talking about uh, in regards to turnout, seeming to suggest that you have some quantitative assessment of, of really what the turnout is in the Jewish community relative, in the Orthodox Jewish community relative to the overall population. I'd love to know kind of what your Talking brass tacks, what kind of numbers are we seeing, um, and and how do they relate to general population numbers? Well, I think general population is probably the same, maybe a little bit less when it comes to the statewide races, a little bit more when it comes to the presidential race, uh, at least this year it was. I, I think if people come out in the numbers they came out in this year's presidential race for a legislative race, they can make it have a significant impact on the race, on the outcome of a race, because that many fewer people show up from the general population. So if the, and you take a look in New York at the Turner race a few years ago, when the Orthodox community came out in a, in a low turnout race, they were able to, uh, to vote him in. And, and that made an impression on a lot of people. So we have to use that same strategy all the time. When most people don't turn out, we need to turn out. And that, I mean, that's, that's politics 101, bringing the people to the voting booth. Yeah, but this past uh, election here in New York, we saw many... Many Republicans, so at that the community was supporting, uh, not being successful. Well, I guess they didn't turn out as many people as the Democratic. Uh, well, opponents. it's just it's it seems that when in the higher turnout elections, it uh, we we don't seem to do quite as well as. Uh, right, because we're a smaller population. Since we're a smaller population than the general population, if everybody comes out to vote, obviously we're not going to have the same impact. But if you look at the lower turnout races which are most of the local races, right, when the off-year elections, when, when most people aren't coming out to vote. That's the or in the primary elections. I think primaries, pr- primaries sure, are yeah. very important. And I'm looking at some of the primary numbers today, and, and I'm seeing that people won with 3,000, 4,000 votes. You know, we, we had 4,000 votes in Teaneck alone on, on a school board election this year. So, you know, the, the, the numbers are there. They just have to turn out on those races, and they can change the face of, of the Assembly and the Senate. All right, Josh, I hope you have time for one last question. I know sure. you have to go. I think I think the numbers that you're looking at, what we were referring before to look at the exact numbers, there's a difference between a special election and a general election or a primary. Somehow it looks like the Republicans are better equipped at getting out their votes, not on a primary, not on a regular primary day when they're simply focused on one election than versus there's a statewide primary get-out-to-vote effort that they're not good. It doesn't matter if it's in New York or if it's in New Jersey or if it's, for that matter, in Massachusetts. And I, as a matter of fact, I read today in some kind of a paper that the GOP is trying to push John Kerry to become Secretary of State because they feel that they could win his seat in a special election. So the question is, going into a regular vote when you see the Jewish population, do they vote as the regular population or do they vote less? You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I really haven't gone through race by race, but just for instance, this past race, the presidential race, when everybody thought the Orthodox community uh, in certain districts, uh, especially the Orthodox districts, would come out en masse for, for, uh, for Romney and, and not for President Obama. But I've seen just the opposite. I've seen a 50-50 split or a 60-40 split in the Orthodox districts when I would have expected an 80-20 to 20 or 90-10 to 10 race. So, you know, people are, are funny. People which will do what they want. Which specifically, where, where were we talking about? You're talking about in Teaneck? You're talking about in Passaic? Yeah. You're talking about in Lakewood? Uh, I, even, I, I didn't really look at the Lakewood numbers, but up in, uh, in Teaneck, I've seen some districts that were pretty close. I looked at the uh, Edison numbers. I've looked at the uh, East Brunswick and Highland Park communities where they were significant uh, for President Obama. So, you know, everybody, the beauty of this country is you can vote for whoever you want. And, but uh, are those so truly homogeneous people. areas, like uh, like parts of Borough Park and Williamsburg? I mean, I know where I live. Uh, I think I said this last week that eighty five percent of the vote went to Romney. 
Mm-hmm. And in my specific election district, Rom- I think Obama got uh, four votes. Wow. I won't admit to being one of them. Listen, why, why not? I mean, listen, everybody's entitled to vote whoever they want. Absolutely. So, I just won't admit to it. <laughs> <laughs> president's a good man. He deserves the, you know, he, he got the support. He got the, the mandate to, to become president again. But just say, you know, just looking at numbers and based on what you hear out there, you would have expected otherwise, and, and, and you see differently. But that's the beauty of, of voting in private and, and having everyone having the right to vote for whoever they want. That, that's America. That's democracy. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate your time this evening, and we hope to get updates uh, in the future. Hopefully you'll join us again. Absolutely. I had a great time, and I look forward to being on your show again. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you, Josh. Thank you, everyone. Be well. Okay, folks, we are going to switch uh, back a little bit to a little more general, non-Jersey specific uh, uh, topics here. And I want to give a quick thought, Moshe, to the city council lines. There's a lot of, uh, that would be the New York City Council folks. And there is a lot of controversy going on right now. The Every 10 years, they draw the lines. Yeah, it's called redistricting. And uh, it happened in New Jersey, uh, which uh, actually squeezed out uh, a congressional seat which led to the uh, Botea-Pasquale uh, race. But uh, let's uh, for a second uh, talk about the city council in New York. And there is uh, quite a lot of controversy in southern Brooklyn. There's a lot of controversy in with regard to Queens and northern Brooklyn. And uh, w- what happens about this fight for different districts in southern Brooklyn, Borough Park, Midwood, Flatbush, that uh, everybody is so excited about? Here's what... Uh, I get the city rule came in with a map to the city council. Supposedly, I don't know what, through which connection, but this is what they proposed. They proposed three districts for themselves. They proposed taking Councilman Greenfield for themselves. They they would have for uh, the Orthodox oh, Jewish Orthodox, community, okay. which uh, unfortunately I'd also like to have a district for myself. That uh, that would be fine. But I think yes, I think when they when they propose a C, they propose it with somebody in their mind for themselves, okay. the okay. advocate for themselves. So they well, try- the, the unions are doing that all the time, and everybody else is entitled to. So the Jews should be entitled as well, as long as the unions admit they do it for themselves. And if I get this rule would come out and they'll admit they do it for themselves, they're hundred percent entitled to that. But when they come out and they say what they really want is the community, then we have to see what is what is in it for the community. So they what they tried to do was they tried to move out. Councilman Brad Lander out of the Jewish district and move up Councilman Greenfield to cover that district. And that way they'll be able to create another district from the part of Flatbush that which will be covered by an Orthodox Jew. And then they wanted to take the Marine Park area, move out a, a little bit Joanne Williams and move out a little bit Eugene Matthew and create over there a third district. The problem that they ran in before they got it, they got started is According to the according to the civil rights laws, that every district that is minority has to stay that way. So this that was off the bat right away that they couldn't do. So at least they were trying to negotiate halfway, still get Councilman Greenfield to cover the whole Borough Park, so they'll be able to create a seat in Midwood that they would be able to put somebody in to run. In that the community in Borough Park, in which most organizations and most schools came to the redistricting commission, and they started basically arguing that they would like to have two representations. On a merit, the, the argument was that if Councilman Greenfield wants to do something, he really needs his help of his other constituents. So the community will not gain nothing of losing Councilman Brad Lander in a part. The last lines that came out, the question is if it's going to stay or not, because that veto little thing stayed into that line is that he got back most of the most of the district councilman Brad Lander got back. He got back like about 30 blocks of the district, 35 blocks of the district. Everybody seems to want a little piece of Borough Park for themselves, don't they? I think everybody doesn't want a piece of Borough Park. I think everybody's trying to move it. And since this rule is such a good friend with Councilman Greenfield, they would rather give him the whole Borough Park to enjoy. So, Stephen, we don't see these divisions within the Orthodox community outside. It's it's a little bit inside baseball, right? A lot of people wouldn't understand that there were that the Orthodox community or the Hasidic community, the Black Hat community, is not monolithic politically. Do do they do they understand that? I think most people uh, think of the Orthodox broadly as as monolithic, ideologically, theologically, what have you. But I, I mean, what's interesting is that I think for all these differences, for all these political factions, I think uh, I, on the issues, if you saw some diversity on the issues, 
uh, then then I would say, wow, look at look at how you know many splendored is is the Jewish communal is the Orthodox Jewish community's uh, political view. But uh, but uh, that's not the case. I think you know it's it's. I'm going to argue for school vouchers on a soapbox, and I'm going to argue for school vouchers on two soapboxes. Is essentially you know that what what uh, what political discourse counts for uh, in the Orthodox Jewish community. I do think it's interesting though that there is a, a real try a real fight to try to get Orthodox Jewish influence across multiple districts because we saw this in this super Jewish district, uh, the in uh, District 17 in in Brooklyn, this idea that you know that somehow this was going to be super. Jewish district, where I think most communities would be offended to be so so heavily gerrymandered, and uh, they they were offended. Just the question who the leadership in that was. So it's not the question if it, they wanted a super Jewish district. It comes back to what what happens is a couple of people that are disconnected from the community, which I'm sure they mean good. If you're going to talk to them one on one, I'm sure they mean good and they mean the well being of the community, but they do not understand what's happening and they do not understand the politics that based on if you have. If you have a couple of different districts divided, you could get much more influence. Imagine if they wouldn't have made this super Jewish district. They would have had, besides the fact that since they're so closely affiliated with the Republican leader, Dean Skelos, if these lines would have been drawn a little bit differently and they would have gotten for him two Republican seats, now look at the fact they would have helped him a lot. So this idea of going with the super Jewish district they made him actually worse because they got one person, and I don't even know how committed he's the Republican, besides that he's committed of voting for Dean Skellos as majority leader. Yeah, but they might not have gotten two seats if they if they looked at it. I mean, they might not have had two people voted for the Republicans if that uh, if that's the case. Historically, that hasn't been the case. Borough Park and Midwood have, and Flatbush have been represented by up to five, six state senators. And they were not... Uh... That would have been too much, but the Russian community, as a matter of fact, I believe is much more GOP-reliable than the Orthodox Jewish community. The Orthodox Jewish community ah. does not Well, now not you're turning work. the Orthodox into a monolithic community. They, they don't <laughs> work. No, what I'm trying to say is that they don't vote via party. They vote who the person is. In other words, people ask if Simcha Felder afterwards, if he changed, that he... He's, he's not a Democrat, and he changed running on the working with the Republican lines if people bothered. Some people bothered, but not the fact that he joined Republicans, because we don't believe you have to be a Republican or you have to be a Democrat. So turning out that way, if they would have gotten Simcha through half the district and the Russians would have gotten in somebody of their own, I do believe they would have had two seats right So this there. discussion of Jewish power... Is particularly interesting since we have no Jewish mayoral candidate running, or I should say on the Democratic side, there is no Jewish mayoral candidate running for the first time in many, many years. I remember Bill Clinton was called the first black president. I'm sure we'll go out to a couple of these mayors. They'll be the first Jewish mayor. Which one would you pick? Uh, you, There's you, only been a lot of, yeah, Bill, Bill, a lot of Blasio, Jewish mayors. Christine Quinn? Is a, with a name like Christine Quinn, it's going to be tough to... Go for the Jewish mantle, I think that the uh, she's got a number of different mantles that she's wearing already. Bill De Blasio, that's that's also going to have not really going to have as great a Jewish ring to it. You know, at the Jewish Channel, we have a reporter named Christian Needen, which leads to endless endless hilarity when he speaks to various organizations. And, but and but what do we make of that? Is that a decline in Jewish power, or is that a strengthening of Jewish power? The uh, the fact that there is no mayoral candidate that Scott Stringer has dropped out to go run for controller. Well, Bloom, Michael Bloomer was obviously not 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 brought up on the shoulders of a uh, of the Jewish community to become who he was. Why? Because he's from Massachusetts. Uh, no, because he was an enterprising executive who 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 mother's skipped, pretty who, who uh, his mother's pretty religious. But the Jewish matter he did not achieve his success through 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 grinding out votes in a Jewish community and then in a broader community. And oh, so on from and that so perspective, forth. you mean he wasn't Ed Koch did. politically born of the Jewish establishment? Right. He, he, he and he and he had no uh, no no reason to have particular allegiances to the Jewish community when he did get elected. So, uh, so I don't Hence think his he, he comments uh, recently. Where, where's my? I'm a proud black hatter button here. What's uh, the uh, my show? Where, where's where are yeah. those those buttons? Are we part of those ten thousand black hatters? They're going to show up at his uh, in front of his door. 
we'll see we'll see right now at this Hanukkah party how many people are going to are boycott we, and we're going to have a boycott. Oh yeah, going I'm on? sure there'll be a lot of a boycott. It depends of, on of, it of depends a, on how an, good yeah. it depends on how good the food is. We'll see that's correct. We'll see a lot of people wanting still to rub shoulders since he has twenty million dollars and they still think there's a twenty chance. million? Twenty I think, billion. I think you're off by a, a couple zeros. Couple of billion. Absolutely. I love this controversy. I love this controversy. I love David Greenfield's quote that he was so offended that that Mayor Bloomberg chose to identify a religious community by its specific choice of, of religious garb which obviously obviously <laughs> okay gentlemen we're coming to a close and this has been a spirited discussion I want to thank Stephen Weiss and Moshe Friedman for being with us and Josh Brzezanski on the phone it's been a great great show here on spin class and I just want to end with a very very quick uh, point of that that as my father told me earlier today and it's good to quote wisdom that when we discuss the fiscal cliff and that Washington is going off the cliff that it's time for politicians to start acting like adults. Thank you very much. This has been Spin Class with Michael Fragan and Charlie Harari, Book of Life, coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, nachumsegel.com, jmandam.org. We will speak to you next week. Thank you. Thank you.